0: good morning. Welcome to Grace. If you guys will stand, let's sing together.
1: Why?
2: saying we're poor with nothing to give. And we gather here not just celebrating how great God is and how much he has to give us, but we're also gathering as a confessing people that admit we're poor, we're bankrupt, and we don't have what we need to have a right relationship with God. We don't have what we need to live the right kind of life with the people around us. And so we're going to enter into a time of confession together corporately. I'm going to lead us and read from uh, Matthew 5. Let me read and then we'll spend some time confessing together. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as a confessing people. Confessing and singing and praising you for how great you are. But also confessing And admitting freely our own bankruptcy, that we cannot do it on our own. Lord, we are here because we need you. If you'll spend just a moment confessing before the Lord this morning whatever sins he brings to mind, whatever things that he's called you to do that you haven't done. God, we are poor with nothing to give. But Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Fathers, we continue to worship. We take hope in that promise. That when broken people come to you and admit that they have nothing of their own, that you will fill them. Lord, we hunger and we thirst for you. And we pray that you would fill us, that your love and your grace would overwhelm us. And that it would begin to move us and transform us so that we would become the kinds of people that you've made us to be. That we would have an impact in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. That we would be transformed by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: With us, talk about our weakness and God's strength.
1: I am tired, and I am weak, and I am a weary. Lord. Your feet are full you're worthy. Oh Lord, come and be my own Here at your feet I fall and I cry. The love and grace of God. and then time singing.
0: Thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you that you bring us out of darkness into into light. God, we pray that you will continue to push out the darkness in us. Help us to trust you. It's your name we pray.
1: It's into marvelous light I'm running. Out of darkness, out of shame, by the cross you are the truth, you are the life, you are the way, single again, into marvelous light I'm running. Out of darkness, out of shame By the cross you are the truth You are the life, you are the way You're sinless and gathered I once was fatherless A stranger with no hope your kindness waken me, waken me from my sleep. Your love, is back can see a call to come and die. By grace now I will come, take this life, take your life. Sin has lost its power. Death has lost its seems And from the grave you've risen Victoriously It's the marvelous I'm running Out of darkness, out of shame And by the cross you are the truth You are the light, you are the way deepest stains now clean. Your breath fills up my lungs. Now I'm free. Now I'm free. Sing it. My dead heart now is beating. My deepest stains now clean. Your breath fills up my lungs. Now I'm free. Now I'm free sin has lost its power, and death has lost its sting, and from the brave you Big written victory has been, it's marvelous I run. Out of darkness, out of shame, by the cross you are the truth, you are the life, you are the way, and into the marvelous light i am run, out of darkness, out of shame, by the cross you are the truth, you are the life, you are the With my hands and spin around, see the light that I have found. Oh, the marvelous light, marvelous light. Lift my hands and spin around, see the light that I have found. Oh, the marvelous light, marvelous light. Darkness out of shame, by the cross, you are the truth, you are the life, you are the way. Into marvelous light, I'm running out of darkness, out of shame, by the cross, you are the truth. You are the life. You are the
0: way. And let's pray. God, we thank you again for your mercy. God, for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your power to conquer sin in our lives, God. God, help us to see ourselves rightly as you see us as your children, God, people who need you. God, help us to take this chance to hear your truth and to apply it to our lives. In your name I pray, amen.
2: Well, if you guys will open up your Bibles to Titus. We are continuing our series in Titus. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have some black Bibles under the chairs, and it's page 999 in that Bible. I can't say what number it might be in yours. I'm not sure, but it's about uh, half to three-quarters of the way through your New Testament there after First and Second Timothy. Titus is a short book. And uh, as we explained, we're, we're looking at how to set up a counterculture, how to set up an alternative culture, a culture that's not based on the lies of the world, but a culture that's based on the truth, and how to set up a culture that honors God. What does that mean to have, as a church, a culture within a culture, a city within a city? And what we'll be looking at this morning is the culture of liars. We're going to look at the leaders of this other culture, the culture of the world, which we looked in our first uh, sermon on uh, Titus at how really all of history has been based on this lie In Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent said, you don't really need God, do you? And ever since then, we've all been at different levels and in different ways trying to base our lives on that lie, that we don't really need God. We can kind of do it on our own. And so the whole world has been a world, has been a culture that's been a culture of lies. We've been following lies, and here, Paul is telling Titus, giving us as the church as well, instructions on how to now rearrange our lives under the truth. How do we live our lives uh, in line with the truth rather than in line with the lies of this world? So we're going to look at Titus one ten through 16. Last week we looked at the structure and the leadership of the church and how that should be based on character, really a character that is true, a character that uh, is, uh, lives what it speaks. And here he's going to now contrast this with the the false leaders, the, the lying leaders that are going to try to lead the church in the other direction. He's going to say, you need strong leadership that can teach the truth so that they can direct you away from these liars. So starting in verse 10, it says, "...for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true." Father, these are, these are hard words. And we're a culture that, that likes, to tolerate, uh, likes to tolerate lies. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to have soft hearts and open minds, uh, that we would listen, that we would understand what you're trying to tell us. It doesn't come across the way that we normally speak, the way that we normally understand in, in today's world. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to teach us this morning. We pray that your spirit would be here uh, to apply your word, that we would understand you, and that we would be changed for the better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul mentions here in verse 12 and 13 what's commonly referred to as the liar's paradox. Anyone ever heard of the liar's paradox? There's different forms of it, but it's kind of a logic game, the liar's paradox, to say something along the lines of, um, I'm lying right now. Well, am I lying or am I not lying? Or you could say, everything I say is a lie. What I just said was a lie. Well, well, is it a lie or is it the truth? Or is it true that I was not lying or was I lying before? And, and you get caught in this, this endless loop. I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, but the liar's paradox was actually used by Captain Kirk to fight bad guys in one of the episodes of Star Trek. Anybody here watch Star Trek? Remember Star Trek? Um, I'm not a, a, we got quite a lot here actually, it's kind of, I'm a little nervous about how boldly you shot your hands up, (laughs) I might get something wrong, Um, but I do remember this one episode, because I kind of liked these kind of mind game kind of stuff, problem solving stuff, so this one episode stood out in my mind when he used this liar's paradox. You see, they were trapped on this world that was run by androids. For those of you ladies that aren't sci-fi fans, android means a robot that looks like a person, okay? So it was run by androids, which are basically robots that look like people. And so they have these computer, computer brains that are based on logic. And so Captain Kirk and the crew used non-logic to defeat them. He used paradoxes to, to freak them out. And I found this one picture online of when it really occurred. This was the lead robot. <laughs> and you can see, yes, he looks like a person, but he's a robot, okay? The guy in the middle... And his head's cocked over and smoke is coming out of his ears because Captain Kirk has just fried him with the liar's paradox. He said, everything I say is a lie. I'm lying right now. And he just, he just couldn't handle that. Well, is he, is he lying about what he said before? Is he telling the truth then or is he a liar? You know, and and he, couldn't, he couldn't understand that. And Paul really is doing the same thing here. Paul is saying all Cretans are liars. One of their own prophets has said, a Cretan himself said that all Cretans are liars. And Paul says with a wink and a nod, and this testimony is true. This is true. This Cretan speaks truth that all Cretans are liars. And I think Paul gets the sense of humor here, but the the idea is that we've got a culture that's awash in lies. We shouldn't get sidetracked in in the paradox. We should save that for our Philosophy 101 class when you want to play those mental games. But Paul's main point here is that Crete is a culture that's been taken over by lies. And then he really zeroes in on the false teachers that are fighting against the church in Crete who are also leading with lies. And Paul says you've got to watch out for them. As you're setting up leadership that's going to try to teach the truth to people in this church, there are others that are going to be pushing back with lies. There are others that are going to be trying to pull your people the other direction, saying, no, this is what you need to believe. Don't pay attention to that Jesus stuff. Believe this other stuff. So Paul's saying watch out. You have to set up men and the structure of godly people who can teach the truth because this place is full of liars. And, and this is not a, a racial slur. I mean, Cretans were Greek just like any other Greek Mediterraneans in the Greek world at that time. This was just a city, an island culture that had based their culture around lying. They, they were proud of it. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for lie is kretizo from the word Crete. That was how they described lying. A liar was, was a Cretan. A Cretan was a liar. That was, that was even in the language of Greek in the first century. And so this was a culture that based everything on lying. They said it's more important to lie than it is to tell the truth if you need to do that to get ahead. You do whatever you can to have financial success. Any of you ever been around uh, people like that? You ever been, and don't like elbow your neighbor or anything, but have you ever known people like that, right? They're willing to lie to get ahead. I mean, there are, there are cultures still today that are like that, that, that accept lying. It's just a part of their culture in a much deeper way than, than, than we do. Obviously, there's still people that lie in our culture as well, but some cultures are more devoted to it than others. And Paul is saying, watch out, because Crete is full of these kinds of people. But I want to I be clear. It's not just Crete. The testimony of the Bible is, going back to what we talked about, about Adam and Eve and the garden falling for the lie of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. The testimony of the scripture is that, that all humanity is suffering from a lie. All of humanity is following this lie. And if you look at Romans, actually, in Romans chapter 1, Paul describes uh, the lie that the pagans are living by in, in chapter 125. He says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature instead of the creator. So all of us suffer from this lie. We want to worship created things instead of worshiping the Creator Himself. This is a systemic problem with the whole human race. And you might push back a little bit and say, well, Dave, but he's talking about those pagans and all the wickedness in Romans chapter 1. If you're a Bible student, you know that Paul's really talking about some serious stuff and cultural decay that's going on in Romans chapter 1. But Paul does this fascinating thing. He builds this case in Romans 1, and then 2, and then 3, and he starts to lead into the Jews. And he says, you know what? You religious people, you churchy people, you Jews, you've, you've got the same problem. You suffer from the same sickness as the rest of humanity. You may have ordered the externals in your life. You may look moral, but all of humanity is suffering from this lie. All of humanity is trying to live life apart from God, is trying to worship creation and and ignore the Creator. And he says it this way in chapter 3. What then? Are we Jews better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Paul says, whether you're religious or whether you're a wild pagan that doesn't give a rip about God at all, you all have the same problem. I have the same problem. We all have this problem that that we don't seek God on our own, that we don't love God, we don't honor God with our lives. And we may cover that up with wild living and indulgence, or we may cover it up with religion. Paul says, watch out for these liars. You can cover it up with a lot of different things. But the point is to live your life in line with the truth. The first thing that Paul says is that you've got to watch out for these false teachers, these liars, these leaders of the lying culture, because they're religious. And because that's what tricks us. We think, oh, they're religious, so they're good people, right? Right? And we want to follow them. And Paul says, don't follow them. They're religious. And really, these religious people are the worst. He says, especially the circumcision party. So the first thing I want to look at is that liars are religious. Liars can be religious. And we can cover up our lives with religion. We can use it as a mask. We can use it as a cover-up to try to hide and deceive people. In verse 10, he says, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. So we're like, okay, I'm following you. They're empty talkers. They're just making stuff up. They're lying. They're deceiving people. They're insubordinate. They're wild. They're out of control. And then he says, especially the circumcision party, which is basically shorthand for the Jews. He says, especially the Jewish Christians. They're the worst. He says, watch out for them. These especially religious people. They're going to try to lead you away from the truth. And you've really got to watch out for them because it's easy to fall for people that say, hey, I'm religious. Hey, I'm on the religious TV station. Or, hey, I'm in the religious bookstore, so I must be true, right? And, and we just start to follow after them. He says, they must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Again, it goes back to that they'd rather gain than tell the truth. The gain is more important. It may be personal gain. Leaders sometimes just want a following. And they'd rather have a following than be leading people in the right direction. Or they may want money. They they want to have an empire. And so they're trying to create a following, trying to lead people so they can get money out of them. For whatever it may be, there's all kinds of different reasons. He's saying they're doing it for shameful gain. They're teaching things that they shouldn't be teaching just to get a following. If you skip down to verse 14, he talks about the nature of what they're teaching. They're devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people or the commands of men who turn away from the truth. They're they're following the commands of men. Not the commands of God, but the commands of men. They're making up stuff. They're making up traditions. They're adding layers of religion. That's the history of religion is trying to add things, build our own culture that will get us to God. Say, well, if you join this club and if you attend at this time and you give this amount of money and you follow these behaviors and you eat these foods but you don't eat those foods, you wear these clothes but you don't wear those clothes, you follow these rituals, then you're in with God. Paul and Romans made it very clear. God says, not only are the wild, crazy pagans, sinners that are living their life according to the lie, but even the religious people, they're living their life according to the lie. We're, we're all guilty. None of us can work our way up to God. No matter how many layers of religion we try to hide under, we can't push through on our own. I, I was thinking about how easy it is to fall for these false teachers and I was thinking about this old skit on Saturday Night Live back in the 70s. Anybody ever watch Saturday Night Live back in the 70s? Um, there was this skit called The Land Shark. You all remember The Land Shark? Great idea. It was this kind of silly skit where there was this guy. I'll give you a picture of him here. This guy that it was basically a dude in a shark costume, right? But uh, it, it was this shark that you really had to watch out for because normally you think, you know, if I'm walking around in the city, I'm safe from sharks. Sharks are just in the ocean. But this shark could walk and he would come into apartment buildings and eat people. So you really had to watch out for him. He was extra dangerous. He came places you didn't expect him to be. But he would always try to disguise himself. You see, he wouldn't just knock on the door and say, I'm a shark and I'm here to eat you. He would say, pizza, knock on the door. Who is it? Pizza. What? I didn't order a pizza. And then you go, paper boy. What? I don't, I don't take the paper. You know, And he, he's trying to pretend he's something... He's not. And finally, they would open the door, and then the shark would come in and eat him, and, and uh, it was this, this terrible thing. Fortunately, it wasn't too bloody or gory or anything. But, but the idea is that false teachers don't just walk up and say, I'm a wolf. I'm a false teacher. I'm here to devour you. I'm here to mislead you. I'm here to eat you up and kill you and destroy your life. That, that's not how the false teacher approaches us. They're going to say, I'm a pizza delivery boy, or I'm the paper boy. They're going to say, I... Just let me in the door. I'm here to bring you something you want. I'm here to bring you something you need. It's an important application for us to understand that just because someone's on the religious TV station, that doesn't mean we should listen to them. Just because they're in a religious bookstore doesn't mean we should buy their book. We need to begin to to have ears to hear who is speaking of Christ and who is speaking of man-made regulations, the commands of people. Who's making up things for us to follow other than Jesus. Because we we can't cover up our sin, we can't cover up our lies with religion. You can't just keep adding memberships and adding merit badges to to fix what's broken in your life. Only Jesus can fix what's broken in our life. And, And that's the message. That's the message of the gospel, that we need Jesus. We don't need another religion. We don't need another club. We don't need another ritual. But we need Jesus. And when you walk with Jesus, then that begins to change your life. You begin to look like something different. But Paul says, "Watch out, because these guys are are religious. They're they're false. They're liars. They're leading people in the wrong direction. They're disobedient, but they cover it all with this mask of religion. They're part of the circumcision party. They're part of the Jewish party. They look Jewish. You know, we're people of the book. We, we believe in the Jewish Old Testament." But we believe that all the ceremonies of the Jewish Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Jesus said, I came to fulfill all of that. Those were all shadows, it says in Hebrews. But the real thing is Jesus. Those were all like trailers. They were commercials. Those were ads. Those were things that were whetting our appetite for when Jesus comes. There were these dramas that that the Jews acted out. There were these rituals that they acted out to understand that they need a sacrifice. To understand that they're not holy, but that God is. All of these things were were lessons that were pointing them forward to Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment of all their needs and all their hopes. And and that's what we need to trust in. He is who we need to trust in. Not, Not the rituals. We don't need to go back to the shadows. We don't need to go back to the types. But we need to trust in the real thing. Jesus himself. And so we need to be careful that we don't fall for anyone that says they're Jewish. Or anyone that says, oh yeah, I believe in this book. That's one of the ways that cults get get in the door. Like the land shark saying, pizza, paper boy, the cults say, oh yeah, 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 I I like this book. I'm into this book. Uh, We're all about the book, but we have these other things that you need to follow as well. We have these other things that you need to do. Jesus is nice, but he's not enough. That's the message of the false teachers. They don't just come right out and say, oh yeah, we hate Jesus. No, they come out and they say, yeah, Jesus is nice, we like Jesus. But Jesus is not enough. In Colossians, they were saying, Jesus is not enough. You need to worship angels too. You need to be involved in these mystic experiences too. In, in Galatians, we see that they said, yeah, Jesus is nice, but you also need to be circumcised and follow the Old Testament law as well. They, they add these layers of ritual. These, they add these external requirements and say, Jesus is nice, but he's not enough. Watch out for them because these liars are religious. The next thing that we see that these liars must be stopped. And this is where really some of the harsh language comes in. This is the kind of stuff that we don't... We just don't talk this way in our culture. You know, we're all about being tolerant. We're all about being nice and just kind of like, oh, they said something that was a lie. We'll just kind of look the other way and and not think about it. That'll make me feel better, right? Paul says the leadership of a church actually needs to stop it. Actually needs to stop it. The, The church actually has to believe in absolute truth. And if we have someone in a small group or in a Sunday school class teaching crazy stuff, teaching jesus plus other things then we have to say hey i'm sorry you can't teach that and that's the role of the leadership we actually say you you can't do that but that's broken down in many churches In many churches it's just like well you know we can all believe what we want to believe and teach our own thing well that that's fine but but then that's just a religious club that's no longer a church that's no longer a church when you don't hold on to jesus being it jesus is the only way and that's fine if you want to go have your religious club and everybody discuss their different ideas But that's not what a church is supposed to be. A church is supposed to be a gathering of the people that say, we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. Not Jesus plus five rituals. We just need Jesus. He's our only hope. He's the only thing that can get us there. If you look in verse 11, Paul says, they must be silenced. Literally, this word is muzzled. They must be stopped. You've got to stop them from talking. Stop the dog from barking. They have to be silenced since they're upsetting whole families. By teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. In verse 13 it says, Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to the Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. This word for rebuke them sharply, this word sharply is a word literally that means cut. It would be the same word in the Greek that you would use for a scalpel. It needs to be cut out. It needs to be stopped. I had a picture here of John McCain with a band-aid on the side of his head. Some of you may have had this done. You know, you have a mole that, that starts to grow or starts to look funny, and your doctor says, you know what? We're going to have to cut that out. Uh, I know my father-in-law has had that. I've had friends that have had that, that done. Uh, they don't want to just let it grow. They don't want to just let it grow and infect and, and spread in your body, but they say, you know what? That's cancerous, and we want to cut it out. And You see this a lot of times with people that they may have a sunspot or something, and the doctor says, you know, we're going to cut those out. They've got a Band-Aid on it, and they recover. And and everything's fine because it wasn't allowed to persist. And that's the idea with the false teaching. The false teaching has to be stopped. It can't be allowed to go on within the church. Like I said, I'm not going to chase somebody down and say, hey, you can't teach that anyway. I'm just going to say, you know what? This is a church. And here, we're devoted to Jesus. Here, we don't teach the Jesus plus everything else. We don't teach Jesus is nice, but you really need to do this. We teach Jesus is our only hope. So when it talks about stopping and silencing this stuff, really the key, the most important part, is actually teaching the truth. We're a place that devotes ourselves positively to the teaching of the truth, to the teaching of the scriptures in a way that honors Jesus and shows how he is the main point of the story. Of this whole book, he's the one that ties it all together. And so that's what we're going to continue to do here. Not very often do we have to silence someone and say, oh, you can't teach that. But we spend a lot of effort, we spend a lot of energy on devoting ourselves to the truth, on focusing on Jesus and teaching him well out of the scriptures. I want to encourage you to develop uh, this ability, this skill of discernment. Like I said, don't just walk into the Christian bookstore and say, anything here is good because it's a Christian bookstore. Don't just turn on the religious channel and say, well, anything I hear must be right because they're religious. But, but learn discernment and learn to begin to understand and interpret for yourself what's true and what's not. My daughter the other day uh, was listening to a speaker who was a religious speaker, and it, was, it wasn't at our church, it wasn't at any of our youth events, but it was another place where she heard a religious speaker, and she was like, Dad, he said this, and I don't think that's right. He was talking about trusting in yourself. She was like, but aren't we supposed to trust in Jesus? You know, And she, she was kind of confused, and she was shocked. And she was shocked that no one had addressed him, that no one else had spoken up. And we need to develop a culture where people push back. If, if something untrue is said, we don't have to be mean about it. We don't have to be jerks about it. But we have to say, do, do you mean that we don't really need Jesus? Because I understand that that's the only way. That, that's our only hope. And we need to have a, a level of accountability with each other where we're willing to actually confront those things. Sometimes it may just be a misunderstanding. But I was proud of her for listening with a discerning Ear, for pushing back a little bit and saying, I don't, I don't think that was right. This is what he said. What do you think? And we were able to have a pretty good conversation about that. The last thing that I want to look at is, is the way that these liars distort the gospel. The liars distort the gospel. I mean, it's the obvious part of being a liar is they're lying, right? They're saying something that's not true. They're saying untrue things. And uh, Paul gets that a little bit at the heart here. And when you cross-reference with First Timothy, which I said First Timothy and Second Timothy are kind of Parallel books, they're they're addressing some of the same issues of organizing a new church. Um, we, We begin to understand a little bit what these distortions are. I'm going to read from you, starting in verse 14 again, devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. This phrase, commands of people or commands of men, is a phrase that Jesus uses a lot of times in the Gospels to contrast with the commands of God. You know, you can follow the traditions of men or the commands of men, or you can follow God. And obviously, when you start following the traditions of men, that's where you veered off into the category of just religion instead of listening and following Jesus. It says in verse 15, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. You see, you can say that you like Jesus, But if your life doesn't reflect that, if the works in your life doesn't reflect that, then you're showing that you don't really like Jesus. You can say, I love Jesus and I believe that I'm a sinner, that I need him to save me and forgive me and, and transform me by his grace. But if you never reflect grace to others, if you never live a life of sacrifice or forgiveness or grace towards anyone else, then your works betray what you say you believe. Then, then we would say you don't really believe in Jesus because what you believe always drives how you live. And, and what these people were doing is they were setting up a religion on externals, on Jewish myths and on the commands of men and on regulations and on rituals. In First Timothy, when we cross-reference some of these same phrases, you see that they were forbidding marriage and they were forbidding certain types of food. They, they were making it all about external things. In the Greek world at that time, it was really popular to distinguish the things of the mind from the things of, of the earth and separate out that matter is evil and that the mind world, the world of spirituality and the world up here of abstract ideas, that was, that was where good things were, but we were kind of trapped in this cage of our, of our bodies and that we were just evil and the world was evil and everything about the world was evil, so it didn't really matter what you do anyway. You can see how you could kind of take that to an extreme where, yeah, the world is just full of sin, and so just indulge. We're all animals anyway. We're all a bunch of beasts, so just indulge and do whatever feels good. You know. And then you find freedom out in the world of ideas. You find salvation in the spiritual world. So you can see how that, that sounds similar to Christianity, but it's not exactly the same thing. It's, it's close enough that people in the church were falling for this stuff, and then they then began to say, okay, so the problem is out there. The problem's not me. The problem is the food I'm eating, Right? Or the problem is this marriage. Or the problem is this relationship. How many of you do that? I, I do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the first to confess that when I sin, I look as quickly as I can for some external thing to blame it on. Do, do you do that? I mean, that's, that's, I, as fast as I can, my heart just races there. Like, it wasn't my fault. It was that person over there. It was that thing. It was that pizza I had at lunch. You know, we, we always want to blame it on other things. And that's, that's the distortion of the gospel. That's the distortion of the gospel that these false teachers are setting up. It says to the defiled, everything is defiled. When your mind and your heart and your conscience is, is impure before God, when you know you're guilty and you're just carrying that guilt around with you everywhere, you're always trying to push it out on other things. You're trying to cover up with layers of religion and you're trying to push the blame out on other things. It's, it's not me. I didn't really do it. It was him. It was her fault. It was that thing's fault or whatever it is. And you're pushing the blame out there instead of recognizing, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I need salvation. I need forgiveness. The problem with me is me. The problem with me is not everybody else. And we all need to get to that place, right? Where we can face that reality. That the problem with me is not the school I went to or my parents or what I ate or what I practiced or this ritual or that ritual. It's not those external things. The problem with me is me. I need a heart transformation. I need to have a purified mind and conscience. It says here, their minds and their consciences are defiled and so then everything is impure and they can't walk in freedom. But once you're forgiven, once that burden of your own sin is taken off, then it transforms the way you think and feel from the inside out. You see, for the false teachers, they say religion is an outside-in thing. Just like every other religion in the world, you follow these practices, you do these things and you can build your little ladder up to God, right? That's what every religion promises. Christianity alone promises that God builds a ladder down to us. That Jesus entered our world. He came down and pursued us because we couldn't build our way up to him. And Christianity requires that you confess that, that you admit that. It requires that you say, you know what? I've been living this lie that I don't really need God, and I've been experimenting with all these other gods, like it says in, in Romans 1 worshiping created things instead of the Creator. I've set up all these other false gods. I've pursued all these other things. But only God really works as God. Only God will fill that that void and that vacuum in our life. Only God can can forgive us. Only God can transform us from the inside out. And that's what we learn here. We've got to be careful because we have a world. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We have a world that's filled with with half-true things. A world that's filled with half-true things. And so it's so easy to fall for this religious teaching this religious teaching that says, yeah, Jesus is great, and then you need to build all all these other things. You need to follow this whole other culture. But as we move through Titus, he's going to tell us again and again that you need to accept the free grace and forgiveness that God gives you. And as that transforms your heart, it's going to spill out into good works. It is going to change the external things in your life. But you can't go blaming the external things and then rearranging the external things in your life thinking that's somehow going to build you up to God the problem with us is us we can't blame the world and the sin out there we need to look at the sin in our own hearts that that we are all sinners that's christianity 101 i'm a sinner i need a savior and we all have to believe that and the false teachers are going to keep pulling us away from that they're going to keep saying "No, no 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 you it's not really you it's this stuff over here you don't need to worry about that you just need to prioritize things a little better you just need a better job. You just need a better diet. You just need, you know, you just need this and this and this, and that'll fix your life. You don't really need forgiveness through Jesus. You don't need to trust him. And we need to watch out because all these things sound so close to the truth that they can lure us in. As we conclude, I want to just remind us again of what was said in the garden. Adam and Eve believed the lie of the serpent. The serpent said, you don't really need God. And Derek Kidner, who's an, an Old Testament scholar that writes a lot of commentaries on, on Genesis, talks about how there's this kind of sarcasm in his voice there. And Tim Keller describes that as the sneer, that there's this, this sneer, this, really? You don't, you don't need God. How ridiculous. You, you don't really think you need him. He just, he's just trying to hold you down. He, he just doesn't want you to be independent. He doesn't want you to be your own God. And again, that's, that's halfway true. Yes, he doesn't want you to be independent because he knows it's death for you because he loves you. He doesn't want you to try to be your own god because he knows you can't do it. You're not god, he is. The the story of the bible is that we rejected him. We've lived this lie. We've tried to do it on our own and god came after us. He came at christmas time we celebrate. He was born as a baby. He lived the perfect life in our place. He died the death that we deserve to die. He rose from the dead to promise us a secure future that we can also follow in his footsteps and conquer death. Some of you this morning have been trying to cover up your sin with layers of religion. Maybe attending things, maybe reading religious books, maybe trying to order your life in a new way. Order order is great. and, And discipline is great. But only giving your life to Jesus will really change your life. That's the only way that you can be forgiven. That's the only way that you can be transformed. So I encourage you, if, if this morning, as, as I've been talking, that you're starting to realize that for the first time. You know what? I've been trusting in what I do instead of trusting in Jesus. If you're one of those people, all you have to do is just admit that before God. Like I said, it's confession. It's Christianity 101 to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. I, re- I recognize I, I'm broken, and I'm Je- I need Jesus to change me. I need him to forgive me. You can just tell him that and accept that free gift. Right here this morning. If if you're doing that in your own mind, in your own heart this morning, if you're coming to that realization, I'd love to hear about it. Maybe a friend that's invited you would love to hear about it as well. Share it with someone else so you can grow in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus. I pray that you would help us to to live free from the culture of lies that we get caught up in. Help us not to live a life of self-help, a life of ritual. A life of worshiping created things instead of worshiping the Creator. Help us to worship you and see you as our only hope. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. If you all stand with us, let's sing together.
1: is where he lands all my hope and stay on Christ the solid rock I stand for other ground is sinking sand for other ground is sinking sand Oh, may I then in Him be found, just in His righteousness alone, for lest to stand before the throne on Christ the solid rock, just in all other ground, sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand, on Christ the solid the breath is stinking sad.
2: we thank you for the truth that you give us, that salvation can be found only in you. And I pray that you would give us discernment to believe and to live according to that truth and not to just say that Jesus is nice, but we really need these other things. Help us to trust in you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name.